0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to WUAC.org. Anyone here like surprise parties? I mean, anyone here just live for surprises? Like you are energized by surprises, by surprise birthday parties you love these things and you live for surprise birthday birthday things you're like i'm here for this as soon as i walk in the door bam Uh, as soon as you walk in and bam lights turn on everybody's there celebration occurs bam and then a surprise occurs about that anyone live for that anyone like that gives me a lot of anxiety (laughs) what about the unexpected surprise on the way to work what about a flat tire you're running behind, you're already frustrated by the fact you're already behind to work and you're running late and you've got the potholes and what in front of you and, you and life throws an absolute curveball and then you hear a pop. And you know exactly what that is and you know exactly what that feels like. Surprise. And sometimes, though, it's even harder than any of those things. Maybe it's more like the economy. Maybe you've planned for your retirement, and you thought maybe you were there and saved and planned for it, then all of a sudden, surprise, the economy takes a turn, and it takes longer than you anticipated. You see, we all like predictability. We like things to kind of be predictable and stay the same. We like to know what's coming. We like to know what's ahead for us. We like to be prepared. Life doesn't always turn out the way that we had hoped for. And sometimes life just doesn't turn out the way you would hope for or understand, or, and sometimes it is hard to see God's hand at work during those periods of time. We began a series before you quit as we walked toward Easter, looking at kind of various stories throughout the Bible, as people experienced hurt and heartbreak and discouragement, how those stories intersect with our stories and how they're intertwined. So I've entitled this series, Before You Give Up, uh, because if you're there or you're just there, I'm glad you're here, because the presence of God, and as we look at these stories, we'll meet the presence of the Lord in these stories and in in this place today, and as they intertwine, as we walk toward the resurrection, we would see these stories with the light of the restoration of the resurrection and the heart for what God wants to do in and through us, and how Jesus invites us in, invited those in the Bible to bring their hurt and failure and doubt and fatigue to Jesus and to the community. So I pray as we walk toward Easter we would experience the goodness that is provided throughout these stories. So here's the aim, is to encourage and to reach individuals who are on the verge of breaking and to encourage those who are feeling the weight of the world to find their hope in Jesus. You see, the folks in the Bible are filled with pages and stories and lives just like you and I, just like the things that we walk through. And so I'm praying that God might break through in and through your circumstances where you currently are. And break through and uh, break through of those circumstances, because the resurrection makes everything possible for God. And the resurrection is proof that God is for you, God loves you, then the power of God is available for every person who calls upon His name. you see, but some of the times we sort of wonder, does God really care? I mean, God's got a big universe to run. God, does God really, truly? care? Is God bending an ear toward my issues? Like, God's got a big universe with stars and planets, and goodness, he's so many things in the universe to plan for, and the planets and stars, how, how, what is this? God really bend an ear toward my hurt and my discouragement, the the hurt that I've experienced? Is the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible really true? Is, what does this have on my life? What does this what does this significance have on my life with my friend who's maybe backstabbed me, walked out on my life, my children who never seem to listen, my relationship with a friend who has, has, has gone south, whose life seems so out of, wor- out of control, how, do I, how can I know this is actually worthwhile? So we have been looking at the story, we looked at the story of Lazarus and the story of Peter, and Peter's journey can be described as a roller coaster. I mean, Jesus takes him throughout this three-year journey. If you trace Peter's life, it can be firmly described as a uh, roller coaster. And I mean, he was super zealous. He had reached the top. He'd be a catalyst for the early Christian movement, not because anything special he was doing but because jesus, jesus christ was living through him he was commissioned by christ set apart by christ loved by christ taught by christ given the keys to the kingdom delegated and granted miraculous power to heal the sick and cast out demons leader of the 12 privileged preacher he began to walk on water he had cut off the ear of a soldier the night of his betrayal before before uh, before even denying christ and here lands in the pit of profanity at this point, denying Jesus three times. Didn't even know him. I don't know the man, the very Lord that he had confessed. Isn't it good to know, church, that the Lord is patient with us? That following Jesus happens over the course of a lifetime. All these twists and turns, That we know that the Lord is patient with us. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everybody to come to repentance. And we cast ourselves in the trusting, cleansing mercy of Jesus Christ. He is patient with you. Aren't you glad that heaven's timeline and that God's timeline for our lives is not often the timeline that we give other people? We can be patient in real time with the unbelieving loved one, hard hearted. Cynic at the office as well. Today, I want to go to the to the book of Judges. It's from the Old Testament. I want to take us the story of Gideon. It comes from Judges chapter six through eight. Uh, bigger picture of the book of Judges. God's people called the Israelites. God had established a covenant with them. Maybe you've heard that term before—a covenant relationship—and God said that He would that he was going to have this special relationship. He was going to set them apart by by a set of laws and decrees and commands. He's going to set this people group apart for the sake of making his name known to all the other nations around them. And God had done this through the through Abraham, and he promised Abraham that he would be blessed through all of the his family would be blessed, uh, that, that his family would be blessed, and his descendants would be blessed. In Genesis, way back in Genesis 12, and God was in pursuit of the Israelites. He was, he was, he did not let them go, even though there were so many times that, boy, they kind of wavered off, and kind of went this way, and threw a curveball. And much of Israelites were involved in idol worship, and uh, God was very clear about that not happening. God said, you shall, you shall worship God and God alone, exclusive worship toward God. All the people of the groups of the time, uh, such as the Canaanites, had their own other people groups at this particular time in the book of Judges, had their own forms of idolatry. And unfortunately, with much of the Old Testament, God's people, but the Canaanites, their forms of idolatry was starting to infiltrate the Israelite forms of worship and god said you are a special people you're my people you are to worship me and me alone and so the book of judges describes in very vivid detail the nature of idolatry and sinfulness and how this sort of cycled throughout all of this and how god's people really spiraled downward from here and a common theme repeated in the book of judges it's not a good verse to describe a book (laughs) But it's found in the book of Judges, and Judges 17, 6 says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was what? Right. Right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in those eyes. So God would send a judge. He would raise up a judge from the community. Not necessarily a judge like Judge Judy or Judge Joe Brown or some of those daytime TV television shows, but he would raise up a judge uh, to warn Israel to rescue them and to this kind of this whole cycle he would he would raise up judges to warn them to rescue them and to bring them back into right relatedness and right worship with Yahweh but they just kept circling. God's people kept this cycle of this. And so the book of Judges tells us about how God would raise people up and then all of a sudden they would just begin to this cycle back over and over again. And it shows the destructive natures of sin and how our allegiance to and worship and how our worship ought to be aligned with the one true king. So during this period of time, you know, everyone people standard this portion of scripture says that the moral standard if it's Whatever people think is right in their own eyes, that's a dangerous standard. You see, our standard, our standard, our moral standard for any type of morality is God, and according to what God has stated in His Word. That is the correct standard for morality. Not when we say everyone does what is right in their own eyes. These judges would be empowered by God so that they could unify the people of God to stand against the enemy. And so there'd be peace for a time, and then the cycle would continue from there. And so we find in Judges chapter 6, verse 1, that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. That's not a really good way to start out a chapter, is it? That the Israelites were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. There was this continuous cycle of Israel doing this to their own selves. And God doing this, and God really judging them and enacting this on them because He had a very special relationship with the Israelites. So God calls upon a guy named Gideon to be a part of the story of deliverance for the people of God. And Gideon uh, was, in in his own eyes and with the eyes of the world, was insignificant. And yet God calls him. To be a part of the story for God's people in the eyes of the world as of that day Gideon would have been very insignificant He was a farmer in that period of time. He's just doing all he's just doing what he's been doing For for a period of time and then we find Gideon landing here and God calling upon Gideon So we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures and it is my prayer that you find a church that does the same, that preaches and teaches from the scriptures faithfully. And I wrote down the page number here, page 174 of that Bible in front of you, 174. It's going to be on the screen, but you can also follow along in that pew Bible on 174 in front of you. We're going to start in verse uh, 11, reading the verse 12. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So we find Gideon hiding not typical in those days for somebody who is threshing weed. If you remember th- uh, in those days, if you were threshing weed, you'd be doing it out in the open. You'd be doing this on a threshing floor. Familiar with the story of Ruth that comes to us uh, with with that concept. Threshing was a process by which you separated the edible portion of the stalk from the non-edible portion of the stalk so that the stock could easily be, easily be blown away. It was this process. And Gideon is in a wine press because the Midianites, and he would have been hiding in here doing this, because the Midianites had caused so much destruction, everyone else would have been doing the same thing too because of the destruction that they had been causing. And we find that in the early part of this chapter, and it tells about that. The Midianites had come in, and continuously had come in, and... Um, Taking, taking the land and taking the crops and all these things and so uh, Gideon is down in, a, in, in this place and he's in, down in a wine press and he is threshing wheat it's not common and yet what we find is Gideon's doing what he's always been doing and then God comes to him now the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says the Lord is with you mighty warrior and you got to be thinking what it's sort of a surprising move here, right? So very in a, an element of surprise. <laughs> the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. But Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Notice the, notice the word that Gideon likes, I. I am the least. How can I save Israel? How can I do this? Moses and Jeremiah said the same thing. How can I? Me? Really? We say the same thing. On our own, we can't accomplish God's will. But to Moses, he says this in Exodus 3.12, "'Certainly I will be with you.'" Jeremiah 1.8, "'Do not be afraid of them, "'for I am with you and will rescue you,' declares the Lord.'" And says it to Jacob as well, who was running from his life from his brother in Genesis, "'I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go.'" To Joshua, "'Have I not commanded you?' "'Be strong and courageous.'" Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And to his disciples on the very last page of that Matthew's gospel. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're reminded in the book of Hebrews. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You see, the Lord promises to Gideon that no matter what the circumstance in life you may face, no matter what the future might hold, no matter how dark it may feel, the Lord is with you. And over and over and over across the pages of the Bible and in the 21st century, the people God calls are the people willing to respond to his presence. In church, we have the assurance that God is with us. We walk in the strength of the promise and the assurance that God walks with us. Might we walk in the assurance and confidence that the Almighty God is with us and knows us and walks with us? What a blessing, knowing he has not and will not ever leave us nor forsake us. In the following verses, Gideon comes from a family of idolatrous worship. And notice that when God calls, then he often calls us to do hard things. Gideon has been reared in an idol-worshiping family. His own father was the keeper of the Baal altar in the town of Ophrah. God calls Gideon to start tearing down that altar, according to verse 26, and to put an altar of the Lord there. And that's an act of courage to do that. In verse 27, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than the daytime. God calls Gideon, and then God calls him to do this. And God's calling begins with our immediate sphere of influence. You see courageously answering God's call oftentimes looking like looks like standing for what's right with those who know us best and whom we love the most and this includes our families. If you're kind of unsure where to start if you you feel this burning desire, if you've got this the holy spirit Desire in you and, and heart in you, and and I pray for that. Start with your families. If you're unsure where to start or where, perhaps the Lord. Maybe you're like, I'm not sure where the Lord is taking me in life. Start by trusting and courageously following Jesus Christ for your immediate family. And for Gideon, this was his father's lifetime, something he had built and taught and defended for. This overnight idol demolishing wasn't affecting some random place he he would never see again. This was a task that he would feel and see and endure in a town that he grew up in and know for sure he would have to face from then on. But the Lord called him to do it. It's when the Christian daughter gets saved, begins a conversation about the Lord to her non-Christian parents. It's when the godly spouse begins to set an example for an unsaved spouse. It's when the teenager begins to be salt and light and desires to impact the school environment. When the coworker begins to influence the environment around him or her at the workplace. It's when the mission field becomes personal. It's when the mission field becomes personal. Is when it becomes perhaps our greatest challenge. And when it comes to the mission field, wherever we are right now is exactly where God wants us to serve right now. What do I mean? The greatest people for gospel impact are those in our immediate circles, our siblings, our children, our parents. Those immediately in our circles are the people placed as disciples that God calls us to uniquely serve and impact for Jesus Christ. The people in our immediate sphere of influence would be the people that God is calling us toward to impact for the sake of Jesus Christ. The siblings and parents, those immediately in our spheres of influence to impact for Christ. Picking up in verse 7, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 1. Early in the morning, Jerob that is Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley of the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me, that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. Can you imagine that? 22,000 people just walking out. Gideon already probably is scratching his head. Is like, why, are you, why, Lord, are you calling me? You said I'm a mighty warrior, and here's 22,000 people leaving. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. I'm sorry, verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. Still too many men. It's 22,000 leave, still too many men. Take them down there and say, and if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go, but if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped down, lapped with their hands to their mouths, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that I lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the disciples to their own tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay low below him in the valley. Interesting, right? God calling him to whittle down an army. And of the Midianite army just being this massive army guy, Gideon is a story, and much all like the Bible. Gideon is a story that represents that he is never the main character of the story. It is God who is the main character of his story and our stories. And chapter 8 tells us that this Midianite army is about 120,000 people to Gideon's 300 that's an amazing cut down of an army. And if you're Gideon, you're like scratching your head, you're like, Lord, you sure about this? My army's being cut down. You've called me to do what? Again? Are you serious about this, Lord? You absolutely sure you have asked this of me? Are you absolutely sure? And what word did he have to go on? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Have you ever asked that? really me, Lord? You've asked me to do what? You want me to be strong and courageous? You've really got that in store for my life? Maybe you're re-asking that question after drifting off from following Jesus, and maybe it's been a long time since following Christ. And maybe the Bible's hit the shelf a little bit, and maybe the cobwebs and dust and prayer just kind of dusted off there a little bit. You'd be kind of re-asking, you want, you want me to do that? You want me to be strong and courageous? You want me to do this, Lord? It doesn't matter what you've been, or even how others have labeled you in life, or unfairly treated you, or unfairly placed things on you in life. You are who God says you are. Period. You are who God says you are. And as I thought about this, I thought about playing blocks with Gwen. Life is kind of wrapped up in that at that moment. My life is kind of wrapped up with this at the moment. I kind of thought about playing blocks with Gwen. You are who God says you are, and that is enough. You are who God says you are. And as I thought about this, those blocks, you know, all of us have a place to start and with building blocks and I've noticed this about her is that she'll start to kind of build some sort of structure with one block. So she then she'll start to kind of build one block after another block. And then oftentimes she'll kind of walk away from it. If you if you are uh, in the if you have a child or have been there before, you've got one block and you've got several blocks that are kind of building upon one block. And she'll kind of dis- be distracted and walk away from that block. She, you know, she'll walk away from it and then maybe come back. But usually, she'll even begin just a whole new block, st- set of blocks by grabbing another block. She won't start with that foundation. And all of us, for the life of the Christian, we all have something to start with. We all have a foundation and a starting point. We all start with one block when we face, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is our starting point. And As we go through life, we begin to build those blocks, and we begin to build that foundation by which God has done and will do great things through us, in and through us. You see, but it all starts with one, and it all can start with one. One decision to follow Jesus Christ. The most important decision you'll ever make is by following Christ, by accepting and believing that he died for you, and placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone. You guys probably have kids who do the same thing, right? They leave the blocks. They come back. Maybe they come back. Maybe they don't. They get distracted. And much of us in life maybe do the same. We sort of like kind of leave the blocks. It starts with the foundation. We kind of get distracted. And it kind of happens this. And we get started and leaves them. And, but notice what happens here. And I, wanna, I want us to look at this. Notice what happens with Gideon. God reminds him about all the things that he'd done for the Israelites in the past. And he reminds the people of God about all the things of the faithfulness about what he has done for them and how easily we forget even in our own lives. But Judges 6, 7 through 10 says this. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them from you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Before you quit, before you give up, keep a record log of what God has done. I had a dear cousin of mine spoken into my life, gave me a a journal when I uh, participated in the ordination service here for the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And he had said that he had given me that journal because he had said he had wished I had kept a record of all the things that God had done over the course of his ministry, over his life, and what God had been doing even in his own life. And I wonder what confidence and faith that we might walk in knowing that God has been with us over the course of our lives by writing down the things that God has done, keeping a record log, a journal, some type of record to show what God has done over the course of our life. Over and over again, God has rescued us and is in the redeeming business. Might we recall and remember that God is completely sovereign? Might we remember that? Before you quit, have your, rest, have your thoughts rest in God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. Isaiah 26.3 says that you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. In Lamentations 3, we find that it says this, that I like call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail before you quit before you give up remember this about this story about our own lives the battle is the lord's Gideon is not the hero of the story nor is anyone in the bible a hero it is God and those who place their faith and trust in God alone and God gets the glory because of it it is never us who are the heroes of our own stories. I mean, 300 men against this vast army may feel as though the Lord is not in it, or the circumstances are stacked up against you. Things may feel or seem bleak in life. The battle belongs to the Lord. David, the last guy out of his family who was nearly forgotten about, went out to fight the nine-foot giant Goliath, and says, and it says this, 1 Samuel 17. You remember this story, and probably you may have remembered this story, but First Samuel 17, that in all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not one with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. The battle is simply more than flesh and blood. The battle belongs to the Lord. But we're up against powers and principalities of this world. Oftentimes there are battles, being, there are battles waging currently that are just beyond our, what our eyes can see and what our minds can fathom. We're up against the powers and principalities of this world and against Satan, It's the devil and his schemes. He wants nothing to do with the advancement of the kingdom of God on earth. In Ephesians 6, we're reminded, Paul in the New Testament says, Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, church. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, church. God still uses ordinary people to accomplish His extraordinary plan. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. God still calls, and God still uses ordinary people who respond to His call, who respond to those surprise. Some of those are surprising calls, like to Gideon. And when God says God calls, we're all called to be mighty warriors for the Lord because. If you've got, if you're a a disciple, if you follow Jesus, if you follow him, then there's obviously, there's going to be spiritual warfare. And so we are called to take our stand, take our ground, have our feet firmly planted, to put on the full armor of God, to continue to walk forth in faith and continue to be strengthened by his mighty hand and by his mighty power. God still uses ordinary people. We find that across all the pages of the Bible, that God uses ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary plan. Amen. Amen.